you know, when we um, are thinking about M&A, we try to get together in person with the team. And then if you're honest with yourself, it feels like one of two ways at the end of the meeting. Either it starts to feel like, ooh, couldn't wait for that meeting to end. Or when they walk out the room, you feel like part of your team just walked out the room. And they left and we had a, like a day and a half of meetings. It just already felt like they were part of the team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Proof of Work podcast brought to you by NoRamp. Today, I'm here with two guests, Maite Diaz-Canedo, co-founder of VIA, and Mike Seckler, CEO of JustWorks. Maite and Mike, how are you doing today? We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Doing good. Happy to be here. Really excited to have you both on. Such a cool experience of having the CEO of a company who just acquired another company. Yeah, definitely. First podcast I've been on with a company that we just combined, an entrepreneur we just you know joined forces with. So this should be a fun conversation. I think it would be best if, Mike, could you kind of give a brief introduction about yourself for the audience? Sure. So uh, my name is Mike Seckler. I'm CEO of JustWorks. You know, JustWorks, our mission is to help small businesses grow with confidence. And we do that by providing technology and an amazing support organization to help companies with everything they need uh, to employ people. So HR benefits, payroll, and compliance. And you know, prior to JustWorks, I've been a two-time entrepreneur. I actually um, got involved with JustWorks nine years ago as I was the first independent board member because I had previously built a company that had some similarities with, uh, with JustWorks. And then four and a half years ago, I came inside to help run the business. And so I'll begin with that. Thank you so much. Um, Maitai, would you like to give a brief introduction about yourself as well? Yeah, of course. I'm Maite uh, Diaz-Canedo, as of a few months ago, VP International Operations at JustWorks. Prior to joining JustWorks, I was co-founder of VIA for about six years. Uh, VIA is a global employment platform that allows companies to hire teams in different markets across the Americas and Europe primarily. And we manage the full life cycle of those workers from employment, payroll benefits, and ongoing compliance. Obviously, continuing that work now at JustWorks and building JustWorks International. Um, prior to building VIA with my co-founder, which we did at Stanford while we were there at the same time, I had dabbled in different entrepreneurial uh, projects. And my global upbringing is uh, I was born and raised in Mexico City, between Mexico City and, and Miami, and have spent time in different places around the world. What an amazing background. You solved such a difficult problem. I see it in my day-to-day. -day. I'm glad JustWorks saw the value as well. Mike, I, you briefly touched on your journey to JustWorks, but you have a very interesting background yourself. I'd love to hear you kind of tell us how you came to be an advisor and then eventually CEO. Sure. So I had been an entrepreneur uh, like Maite uh, at a very young age. Uh, so in 1996, at the age of 22, I co-founded what was the first SaaS business in, in HR technology. The company was named Employees. And um, you know, we were young and naive, but we saw two things. You know, at the time, the internet wasn't broadly used in business, and we saw an opportunity that instead of people just putting you know, pictures of their, their pets online, that you, if you connected a web browser to a database, you could dynamically create pages and, by definition, create application functionality. So we had very early SaaS vision. We decided to uh, approach HR technology uh, for a couple reasons. One, we had just gotten our first jobs out of college. Everything just seemed so slow and broken as it related to becoming an employee. And um, 
you know, there was some naivete we had in terms of how complicated that actually was and the things that we would have to do to uh, build a, an application there. But, but we also had some hypotheses that proved correct. Um, you know, the prior generation of technology or business software was client-server technology. And so it used to be that companies would have these big IT teams and they would host all their applications locally. That may sound crazy now, but that's, that's how things were. And we concluded that IT teams would be very slow to relinquish control of those apps that they managed. But HR, we felt like that would be one where they'd be like, you know, HR, no one really wants to manage an HR app, so that might be one that they would let go of. We also perceived that the democratization power of the web browser would be most relevant in the HR category. You know, manufacturing apps only touch a certain subset of employees. Even CRM, well, it touches a large number of employees, not every employee in the company. But HR is the one application category that everyone needs access to. So that democratization power of the web browser, when you moved away from client-server software, we thought would be most widely adopted in this category. And a lot of those things proved correct. Um, but then, you know, so we built that business. It, it was really exciting first couple years in the dot-com, you know, boom era. Uh, There's a lot of capital and access to talent was easy. But then the real formative times came in, in the unpleasantness of the dot-com bust and really having to make some very difficult decisions in order to survive and thrive that uh, I never wish to go through again, but definitely shaped a lot about how I think about business building. And so I did another venture after that we can discuss in a slightly different space, but because of that first chapter, so we built that business over 10 years, we sold it to ADP, it became the core of what's now known as Workforce Now, which I believe is like the largest part of that $100 billion market cap company. So because of that experience in 2014, I was introduced to Isaac Goetz, who uh, was the founder of JustWorks. And we hit it off, and we spent time together. Um, and it resulted, six months, I think, after we met, and probably you know, six hamburgers later, you know, he and just one investor constituted their board. And they thought, well, maybe we should have a third board member, an independent member. And they invited me to get involved that way. So that was in 2015. And I'm really lucky I, I got involved. It's been a, a great ride. What a story, yeah. You, as of course an entrepreneur yourself, we're going to dive into that in a bit because there are definitely questions that I want to ask you related to that. Um, and you mentioned the naivete, starting a business, that's so important to have in my mind, to not know how difficult something's going to be. Yeah, it's like all amazing things in life. You know, like, I mean, whether it's starting a, uh, a company or starting a family, like there's these moments that are so hard that if you knew everything that, all, if, if only you focused on everything that was going to be hard about it, you may question whether you should do these things. But of course, these are, are incredibly meaningful journeys. And uh, yeah, we got lucky though. I mean, you know, there was some naivete, but we also found really good people early on that filled in the blanks of some of our understanding. And, and those people were absolutely essential to uh, our ability to, to build a successful business. And um, Maite, I would love to hear about your journey, but more so the idea for VIA. You know, how did that come to be uh, in the first place? Yeah, of course. Um, so myself and my, and my co-founder, Itziar, who, who is my sister, by the way, had both had sort of global upbringing and, and global connectivity was a theme that was really important to both of us. So prior to launching VIA, and I'll get to that story in a moment, I had bootstrapped a tutoring marketplace that connected individuals with uh, learning opportunities ITCR had built a global fintech platform for startups across different countries. We had both been, you know, born and raised in multiple places and had really global upbringing. Um, and so the, the, the seeds of that played into the first iteration of VIA. So we were both at Stanford and um, we saw 
a really a white space to launch a what was a recruiting marketplace that would connect companies with talent globally. So what we found was, um, you know, as part of our own internal experiences and after you know, interviewing hundreds of entrepreneurs all around the world, hiring for global talent was a big pain. And so that's where we started back in 2017. Um, so we were basically, you know, a, a recruiting platform that allowed companies to hire talent outside of their headquarter uh, at a time when that was a relatively uh, innovative idea, right? This was pre-pandemic, pre, you know, the uptick in remote work, et cetera. In doing so, we, um, we pitched to investors, we had a seed round, et cetera, and we started building out our own engineering team out of Mexico City, which is where we were born and raised. Um, and in doing that, we realized how hard it was, not just to find the talent, but more than that, how to set up in a new country, right? Uh, I spent multiple hours at government offices in Mexico City signing documents to be able to register to Social Security, um, took months and months, uh, very high asymmetry of information, uh, very overwhelming, and, and I'm from there, right? So imagine if you're not from there and you're trying to hire talent. So a lot of things came together in terms of realizing that what was really the painkiller here and not the vitamin was how do you build the infrastructure to hire workers in a different country, meaning what is the employment contract? How do you run payroll? How do you do benefits? How do you maintain ongoing compliance? That was the real local, hairy, messy, administrative pain that we were going through ourselves and that our customers were going through when we were recruiting them to talent. Then COVID happened and everything you know, changed, the world changed, the way we think about how we structure our teams changed. And so we pivoted into the direction of building an employer of record platform that focuses on building these rails so that you can hire globally in a seamless way and have the peace of mind that although you're not an expert in Brazil or Netherlands or Ireland or wherever, that we have you covered. Um, and doing so now for, uh, for JustWorks customers is, is you know, solving the same problem. It is such a difficult, I already said this, but I can't stress enough how difficult a problem it was for you to solve. Um, the journey for you to, to get there and, and create a, a platform, as you said, that for a seamless interaction there for uh, customers of yours and their perspective and, and new employees. God, <laughs> that is incredible. I think we were very excited about this problem and felt uh, felt that this problem was really close to home. We didn't realize how complicated it was until you know you start uncovering the layers and layers of complexity. But that initial naivete to say, you know, we can solve this very legal, administrative, regulated problem. Um, so certainly, naivete rings a bell for that as well. Oh. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If you had known what you were getting yourself into, who knows where you'd be, <laughs> but no, that's amazing. And, and Mike, you yourself, as you've said, you are an entrepreneur, you got, you had a company acquired by ADP. How does that impact uh, your, your approach and, and how your relationship with Maite functions uh, regarding, it could be the integration of via into JustWorks or just the relationship in general? Well, there's so much to that, and so you know, see how structured these thoughts come out. I, well, first of all, I think that there is a bond that all entrepreneurs have, having gone through this kind of amazingly meaningful but, but hair-raising experience of starting something, feeling passionate about it, through your vision, attracting talent, attracting capital, 
And then that weight of responsibility that comes from, whoa, there's all these people whose livelihoods depend on decisions I'm making, and there's people that have invested millions of dollars in my vision. And that, that can be bone crushing. And so the first thing is that just that like camaraderie and connectedness of like having, having that shared experience. And, and I think the deep respect that comes from that is, is pretty foundational. But then, so both having been entrepreneurs, but then, you know, I had the experience that very much rhymes with what uh, Maite is going through of selling my company to a bigger company. And, and, and in our case, you're know, having, you know, an opportunity to, to transform that larger company, which we did somewhat. It's, you know, again, the legacy of our business is now a huge part of that company and people that um, came over through the acquisition are running huge parts of that company. And, you know, Maite has that same opportunity here. And so I think really hard about how do we, um, how do we set this up for success? You know, entrepreneurs start businesses for a reason. They want to manifest some, something in a way that makes sense to them. They want to build something according to their values. They don't want to be told what to do. And so, but when you're bringing in a new product into a bigger organization, there's all this coordination that needs to happen. So how do you preserve that kind of energy and agency that would have attracted any entrepreneur to starting their own business, but manifest it in the context of something bigger? in a way that creates a, 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 like a virtuous feedback loop as opposed to one which often happens when entrepreneurs sell their companies where a year or two in, they're like, yep, my earn out's done. It, it wasn't fun from the moment we sold the company and so I'm moving on. And so very much trying to, uh, to manifest something different and um, by sitting in her shoes a bit. I think that was a great answer to a difficult and long question. And on the other side of that, Maite, of course, is you, you being acquired. What was that experience like? And what are you most looking forward to regarding teaming up with JustWorks? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we were very privileged in how uh, this process played out, especially because of what Mike just shared now and the empathy and openness and transparency with which they approached the whole process, uh, same approach they take and we take now with JustWorks customers. So it was always a, um, a conversation about relationship building and getting to know each other before we were selling a trans. It wasn't. It didn't feel like a transactional process. It felt like a relationship building process where we were getting to know each other, getting to know our values, uh, connecting back to the mission and the problem that we were solving, and that mutual admiration for what we were each solving and how we could, when combined, solve things in a much more impactful, better, and bigger way. And that was what really resonated with me and my co-founder. That this wasn't a transactional experience. This was a relational experience about how we saw the future of ourselves as co-founders walking into a larger company, our team, our customers, um, all of that. And I think that throughout the process, we would have, you know, somewhat regular check-ins with Mike and he would name that, look, I, I went through this when, when I was in your shoes and this is how I thought of it. And I, I get that it's hard and this is how I would think about it. And it, it was that uh, sort of relationship that really made it uh, an organic and and lucky uh, process for us. What I'm most excited about now is continuing to solve this very complex local problem around hiring people internationally that hasn't been fully solved. It's a complex problem and a market that moves at light speed, right? Um, in terms of uncovering new problems as we're solving the table stakes problems in every single country, right? Every country is its own universe, its own regulation, its own laws. How do we, as JustWorks International, 
become the go-to platform that allows small business owners to be able to hire teams in a given market as if they had been there for 50 years. That's a really complicated problem. And so I'm really excited about uh, solving that at, at scale and, and with the team. It is a really cool team that you, you two have now, an inherent moat in itself, which is really exciting. And one of my favorite words, Mike, I love the word moat. You know, Mate said a bunch of things there, but there were some really important moments in that journey that I think just have, have created, created a lot of strength that allows us to go super fast at things now. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about them, but anyway, just that problem, there was a it. lot in that. Well, I mean, the one, there were a couple of steps that I remember. The first of was like how I got, how we got introduced the first time and we can come back to that if you'd like, but, but then we met and we had a good first conversation that felt like there was a lot of values alignment, but then Maite and Itzy came to New York and we sat down and one of our board members is a very senior person, uh, Emily Chu. She's a very senior senior person at Block or Square. And, uh, you know, she built up Cash App and they've done a lot of M&A. And she, she had said this thing to me. She said, you know, when we um, are thinking about M&A, we try to get together in person with the team. And then if you're honest with yourself, it feels like one of two ways at the end of the meeting. Either it starts to feel like, ooh, couldn't wait for that meeting to end. Or when they walk out the room, you feel like part of your team just walked out the room. And, and so that was like experience one. When they left and we had a, like a day and a half of meetings, it just already felt like they were part of the team. But then to, to really think about like what all the decisions we were gonna have to do, how we we're gonna organize for success and really how we might um, interact in the context of some difficult questions, we actually staged an exercise. So in a future meeting, we all got together in London and we did this exercise where we each wrote out a three-part memo. The first kind of describing a, a vision of what we saw as the opportunity. The second describing like how we thought we should come together for the first phase of the integration, which can sometimes be have a bunch of emotional uh, implications. People report to who and so on. And then the third was imagine that we do this deal and we come together and then imagine two or three years out it's been a complete failure. You know, write down why it failed. And we each wrote those, we shared them the day before, and then we all got together and we talked them through. And it was, it was confirmatory in the sense that, well, one, much of our visions were aligned. Number two, we talked through some kind of big questions about how we would organize, and it proved that we could lean into something that might be an uncomfortable thing to discuss with, with a fair bit of ease. And in um, that moment, I remember like walking into London to the team saying, you know, we have to be prepared if it doesn't feel right to just end the, end the conversation. And we walked out of that trip feeling even more excited and more confident than we had, you know, going in. So those steps uh, are sometimes, I think, skipped in relationships. And we took those steps and we went slow to go fast in the end, I think. And it was, uh, feels like it still pays dividends. Maite, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that the flip side of that was as we, Itzy and I, were preparing for this, you know, big meeting in London, the CEO of JustWorks and the, and the strategy team is coming to, you know, make a decision or, or to continue conversations around this. We were preparing, uh, as you can imagine, for that meeting, you know, building uh, traction numbers, right? All of the things you can imagine about the business as if we were like, you know, in proper diligence. And then Mike sends this prompt and we took a step back and we were like, wow, there's already so much to learn from that. Just that, right? Where we had come at this from perspective again of like transactional, let's share everything about VL and show, and this is so much bigger than that. Um, 
This is about joining individuals together to be empowered, motivated, and excited to see something through. And today is, you know, day one. We're going to have to go through thousands of days uh, in the future. So that was a that was a, one of the big first learnings we had from from the whole experience. Me seeing that from the outside, that's such a cool, I even say it as a story. It's a cool story just to have that you two probably think about all the time. And and Mike, what an awesome exercise. I think of the same thing when employee companies are hiring new employees and they do like a test run where they say, we'll give you like a two-week, two-week sprint. Let's see how you do. If you're a good fit for the role, like, you know, you'll stay on kind of thing. But you did this to a whole different extent, obviously. And it's a cool, like a test run, basically. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like this. Um, I mean, it's not like a co-founder relationship and it's definitely not like a marriage, but when you're like bringing things together, you work on super intensely, having that alignment like increases the odds of success. And like in a co-founder relationship, a good good one could be like a great marriage and as empowering as that. And and a bad one could be just like a bad marriage. It can be, you know, debilitating. And so the first time I did this, I had been exposed to this exercise actually in a broader entrepreneurs group, but the first time I did it in practice was, you know, I had the same co-founder across two ventures. So I was attached at the hip to someone, an individual named John Albert. We still talk weekly, and I'm still involved in that second business as a part owner. But we we did two businesses together over 23 years. Well, after the first one, we sold that business to ADP. I stayed on for a bit, and he left, began working in the foundation for what's Euclidean Technologies. And we were talking about whether we were going to work together on it, even though we had already been business partners essentially for 12 years, best men at each other's weddings, we did a similar exercise. And we wrote out, what do we want out of this? What do we want out of our lives? Like, what's our aspiration here? And it allowed us to see, okay, we were like 80% aligned, but then there were 20% where we had different ways that we conceived things and allowed us to talk to say, well, how much do you care about that? Because I really care about this. Okay, well, if you flex on that, I'll flex. Like, it allows for that open conversation that, that then avoids that self-inflicted wound when you get going and all of a sudden these co-founder dynamics, you realize that you were never aligned in the first place. And so that same principle I think applies really well to the story we just described. And I think we're off to the races in part because of that uh, early work that, that everyone put into it, right? Everyone leaned into that process, it was good. Playing the long game right from the, right from the get-go, which is unbelievably important. And yeah, I, I'm sure it led to a great beginning of your relationship. And Mate, you mentioned a lot about, you know, what the industry still has to solve. Um, I'm going to ask Mike this one, but I'm sure you have your own thoughts. And I, I think I can probably ask both of you about this. Uh, regarding the industry at large, Mike, what are you seeing in the industry right now? Well, there's two things, and I think Mate is the better one to, to give the length of the answer here. But that was part of what attracted us to, to Mate and Itzy and her, their team was that we had been very US-centric, and here was a, a team that had been swimming in this problem for six years and brought a lot of like deep knowledge that we didn't have. So I'll turn it over in one second. But the other thing that we noticed was that within our customers, because we, you know, we focus on helping small businesses grow with confidence, right? And, and we focused for the first 10 years doing that for US-based companies. Um, it used to be 10 years ago that offering international support for very small companies wasn't like the top of the list must have thing to do. But that had, has been evolving over time. And that evolution was greatly accelerated by the pandemic, where many companies that used to be 
you know, 15, 20 people in one office or two offices were now widely dispersed, um, dispersed in many states, which has its own set of compliance and employment challenges. But, but that dispersion didn't stop at the boundaries of the United States. Like now people, for many times for the first time, had contractors or employees in other countries. And, and so we were working on these things in the context of 25% of our existing customers having some existing international employment need. And so the, the risk and opportunity for our business was very clear. The risk is employers would prefer an all-in-one solution. If we weren't going to provide it, that would put certain customers at risk. The opportunity, of course, is by being able to help them in a, in a more expansive set of ways, we can deepen those relationships. But in terms of the trends you were just asking about, uh, Mate, I think um, it would be great to hear your perspectives. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think, you know, as, as Mike alluded to now, there's been a paradigm shift in the way companies structure their work at all sizes. So right before international and expanding internationally was reserved for larger, typically larger multinational companies that could invest the CapEx to go in and plant a formal flag and hire a country manager and, you know, really build out a presence locally in that country. Um, that has changed over time due to a combination of you know, technology, connectivity, and just the trends around globalization in general, those were accelerated by decades, if not more, with the pandemic and the realization that you can have a high-performing team that is remote and not necessarily in your headquarter. Not just that that team can be high-performing, but that, in fact, by promoting diversity, inclusion, and different perspectives, you might actually get to better outcomes than if everyone is, you know, in the same physical space, looks the same, acts the same, comes from the same place. Um, which then now means that the multinational approach uh, is now available to the smallest companies in the US or wherever, and that a small company in New York can and potentially should hire engineers out of Toronto uh, and a digital marketing team in Mexico and a support team in Ireland, because you're tapping into different pools of talent that have different skill sets that make your business better than if you were to do that only in you know, your, your immediate geography. If you look at the, a geographic map of the world, right, Toronto is closer to New York than San Francisco is. Uh, but the barriers to hiring in Toronto are just so much higher. And, and that's what we uh, are looking to change. I will say this is a, an evolving landscape. I think designing around employment and work as a product in a global context right now is a fascinating place and time to be in um, because of these shifts, right, in the form that employment is taking, contracting, freelancing, full time, like what that all means in the context of this new globalized, diverse talent pool is fascinating and something that we want to continue to, to pioneer in. Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating industry and as you said, it's going to continue to change. Five years from now, you're going to look back at this current day and be like, wow, I can't believe that's how it used to operate. And when I say it, who knows what that's going to be. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to your entrepreneurial journey, Maite, challenge, overcoming challenges is obviously something that you do have to do every single day. Can you share a specific challenge that you faced as a founder and, and how you navigated it? Yeah, of course. So we were, this was late 2019, uh, Itzy and I and, and a small team were building this global recruiting platform uh, focused on the talent acquisition side of things. Um, we were already seeing what, what is now employer of record and commonly known as employer of record, but before it didn't even have a name that, that people understood around that, something 
around outsourcing, staffing, third-party hiring, we were already seeing that our customers were asking for that solution, right? Like you've helped me hire my country manager in Brazil. That's awesome. How do I hire them? How do I pay them? How do I make sure that I com I'm compliant to local laws, et cetera? Um, so within that, we were sort of at a fork in the road moment because our remit initially from our investors, et cetera, had been to build out a scalable recruiting marketplace. But we were seeing the signs of a deeper, more scalable problem that we thought was fascinating infrastructural recruiting is really hard to scale so we were sort of toggling back and forth between uh between one thing and the other knowing that we couldn't do both really really well um in around february 2020 pre-pandemic we had conversations with all of our investors you know in terms of what approach what do you suggest we do how do we go about this and uh, at the end, we, Itzy and I, made the decision to completely pivot the business, call our customers and say, hey, we're no longer providing recruiting services for you. We are pivoting into this new direction. We started building employer of record initially in Canada and Mexico as a sort of nearshoring approach to uh, the U.S. A month later, the pandemic hit and, you know, our 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 hypothesis was even stronger now that this was the path worth pursuing. However, we were in a pivot with a short lifeline in terms of the round, uh, the venture capital round that we had raised three years ago at that point. So we had been very capital efficient. Uh, we had to lower our salaries because recruiting was now out of hiring freeze. We didn't have the business set up yet to be able to sell employer of record. And so we went through this moment of um, a world change, right? With the pandemic, your individual life changed. Uh, we're all working remotely after having been working in person. We're pivoting the business. We have a short lifeline. Um, and then things played out in, in, in a very positive way for us. We started building the employer of record platform, started having our first customers, then raised uh, another venture capital round at the end of 2020 and, and built more after that. But that was a, a hard time and um, one where we, we I think we were resilient enough to see through it, but it was definitely a hard time that resulted in a in a pivot and a change into the new direction that we are now in. Yeah, that I would say that's that's a pretty big challenge that you went through. <laughs> and and one thing I wanted to ask about is I assume you did all the fundraising for that subsequent round remotely, all over Zoom, correct? All over Zoom remotely, yes. How was that experience? It was fascinating. Um we, I was in Mexico City, Itzy was in um, Miami. We never met any of our investors uh, in person. And in many ways, it sort of leveled the playing field. So we're both women founders, obviously, sisters. There's a lot that goes, that, that, that goes there. There's a lot of stereotypes around that. I think in many ways, having a, a space of time when all fundraising was happening remotely on video that means you're not having those uh, beers after the, the, the fundraising event or, or, or more kind of relationship building, in some cases made it like a, an easier process for us to go through that made it uh, a little bit more about the business and less about uh, the fact that maybe we were sisters or, or things like that. So I think it worked out well uh, for us. And, uh, but it was interesting, you know, not meeting individuals in person and being able to have that relationship building exercise is, is is not an is not a straightforward thing either yeah i mean the the conversation that you can have in person even how easy zoom or, or riverside is making this right now 
it's not the same as being in person. So that that's amazing. That's that's a that's another difficult problem that you went through, <laughs> for sure. And yeah, looking forward, Mike, you know you you've done amazing things in your career already. Still are looking towards the future. You know what what legacy do you hope to leave? Well, you know, the near term, I mean, we're going through a transformation as a company from a company that did one thing for 10 years. We're generally white collar businesses in the United States, and we're evolving this company to be a multi-product company that serves a much greater diversity of small businesses in a wider multitude of ways, and we're doing it globally. And so this transformation that we're going through right now is it's exhilarating and super challenging across the business. Uh, but the longer term legacy, I would articulate it in, uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, the first is that small businesses, remarkably, despite doing the most honorable work, you know, they're out there pursuing their dreams, just like Mate was talking about, right? You're pursuing your dreams, you're putting it all on the line, you're trying to overcome the odds, you're trying to manifest out of thin air the jobs for other people that give meaning to their lives, and yet small businesses have never had great partners. There have been technology solutions that you can use, but they've never had a whole lot of attention put on them because from a provider standpoint, you know, small businesses, they're expensive to reach, don't make much money on any one small business, so folks always tend to gravitate up market. Part of showing up as the partner for small businesses in the context of this conversation is to democratize access to the ability to build your workforce anywhere in the world and to change those choices as your business evolves. So that's one. Number two is a real personal one. You know, I've been an entrepreneur. Um, we probably outperformed 99% of our 1996 you know, VC-backed cohort in terms of having a great outcome in 2006 when we sold that business. But there were companies that I was contemporaries with, like Salesforce.com and others, that earned the right to remain independent companies for a very long time. And part of why I wanted to be involved with JustWorks is I wanted to be part of a team that earned the right to go that distance, earned the right to go to the zone I hadn't previously earned on my own as an entrepreneur, uh, to create a, a lasting company that both fundamentally changes the game for small businesses, but also creates a real legacy for the people that help create the business. And in that sense, which would be the third, what I aspire to for just workers, you know, the whole purpose of this business, so we have, you know, purpose, a mission, and a vision. And our mission is to help small businesses grow with confidence, but our purpose is to help people realize their potential. And so to create a company that does that to such extraordinary degrees where people grow their careers here, that 10 years from now in the New York City tech ecosystem, when you have other startups, when they hit these hard moments, like, oh my gosh, we got to find people that know how to do this, where JustWorks is the first company on their list that they want to recruit someone who worked at because we have such an incredible reputation for how talent grew here and what people, like well, who JustWorkers are and how they made decisions. And, and um, I think that would be an incredible legacy. Uh, to, to leave both for the people involved in building JustWorks, but also for the New York City tech ecosystem and for the other technology ecosystems that we're just beginning to build in like Toronto, Mexico City, and London. Amazing. That would be a great legacy to leave. And, and Maite, on your end, you're obviously a little bit earlier in your, your career, but looking forward toward, towards either your personal legacy or where you'd like to leave your legacy with JustWorks International, uh, what, what would yours be? Of course. So, I mean, there's seeing that, that vision play out, right? That we can be able to democratize access to talent for small business owners in the U.S. and eventually outside of the U.S. and break down those barriers, geographical barriers that um, make it such that it's so hard to find an individual that isn't uh, in your same country. So that connectivity, you know, I believe in the power of connection and, and how connection 
allows you to be a better person, a better professional, a better company. And so there's that sort of more tangible legacy from a JustWorks International perspective. I think down the line later on uh, and in my life, I, I, I would like to leave a legacy around people being empowered to, to start companies and to build businesses. Um, and that's tied to the first piece, right? But that you can be born anywhere in the world uh, and that you can feel empowered to start a business. I think of myself when I was, you know, growing up as a young teenager in, in Mexico City, you don't necessarily have that many role models for what it looks like to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, and so being able to, to leave that legacy is really important for me as well. 100%. Absolutely. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, I, my closing question that I ask is the same one for, for everyone. It, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, so I'll have Mike, you can go first. Uh, so that question is, tell me either your favorite quote or your most polarizing belief. Without thinking much, too much about it. I mean, the, the quote that just popped in my mind, I'm not sure I can say for sure it's my favorite, but it resonates with what we've discussed previously, is that Steve Jobs quote where he says, or he said, <clears throat> I'm increasingly convinced that what separates successful entrepreneurs from unsuccessful entrepreneurs like more than half of what separates them is just pure perseverance, just like not giving up. And that um, has really kind of resonated with me um, over, over time. And then I don't know if I have a polarizing belief. Um, I do like think of one that is maybe counterintuitive, but I've just seen as I get progressed through life and progressed through businesses and so forth that it never makes sense to optimize for the short term. It never makes sense to optimize for yourself. And you know, the Dalai Lama calls this, what I'm about to describe as being wise, selfish, but it's by sending energy out there and just trying to do the best in every relationship for everyone around you. You're not, you're not doing it in a quid pro quo way, but you're doing it knowing that the way the universe works is that by sending out that good energy, it tends to come back to you in very unexpected ways. And sometimes with great distance in time, but it does come back. And so just a way of living is to actually be quite selfless in the moment, send that energy out there and, and trust in things. And uh, I wish I had learned that at a very young age, but I, I see it increasingly clearly as I go through life. Good energy and, and just putting it out into the ether and, and for other people is so important. I love that. Um, and Mate, how about yourself? I'll start with a quote uh, by Phil Knight in, in Shoe Dog, which is a book that, that I really like and I know Mike does too. Um, that when you see when you see only problems you're not seeing clearly, and that really resonates from an entrepreneurial lens and just executing and making things and manifesting and building, uh, that you have to find paths towards yes and being able to see problems as opportunities and things to build upon, not bottlenecks or, or places to to stop the work. In terms of a polarizing belief, this is this is what what comes to mind, and this isn't fully structured, but something around the concept of being from one place. And that's tied to what we're doing at JustWorks International and tied to the whole story behind VIA. But this concept that, that I don't think, or at least the way the world is evolving, you won't necessarily be from one place holding a physical passport of one specific location, but that you can truly be a citizen of the world, so to speak, and that you can freely work for different companies in different places at different points in time. Um, so something around that, but I would have to structure that into a, into a, a formalized belief. I love that. That's a great way to close here. This has been so much fun. Really appreciate the time. 
best of luck to both of you at Just Works International. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Great. Hey, thanks so much for including us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Great being here.